0: you might be. I don't know what's going on in your soul, but you could be being edified. You could be having revelation even as I speak. You never know because let's just take the group of us in here. You never know who among us has what amount of understanding of God's Word and what amount of experience. And at this very moment while I'm teaching, the Spirit of God can be giving them and apocalypses on something that we're talking about so they have greater clarity. You can never know that. You cannot know whether or not the Spirit of God is taking what I am saying and actually advancing their understanding of things at the prophetic level, at the gnosis level, or at the doctrinal level. You can never know what the Spirit may be doing as long as my part is to speak to men for men's edification, he can take that revelation and do all those things with it. Does that make some sense? Right. Now, we're not done. All we're talking about is proper communication must have as its aim clarity. That's going to be a non-negotiable um, uh, operational force in the uh, will of God. So under point number one, having started there, let me walk through what we have in terms of uh, three subpoints In your outline under sub point A, the gospel is a what? clear intelligible what sound it is right and and in fact as we go to um amos chapter 3 verses 6 through 8 please notice notice when i use the term gospel i am talking about the gospel both in terms of its content the, the message of the gospel but i'm also talking in terms of the gospel's mechanism So the gospel is good news that is heralded to people. So what a gospeler would do, and, and, and particularly in the context of a war, when the troops of a particular nation or country is winning the war, or maybe the war is over with, there would be a runner who would run back to the camp He's the one running, and he brings good tidings that the war is over. That's a gospeler. Did y'all get that? The Old Testament good tidings is equivalent to the New Testament good news or euangelion, the gospel. Does that make some sense? So on the one hand, a gospeler is someone that's coming to us because we are waiting to hear, where do we stand in this warfare? And so the book of Acts was all about he is risen. He is risen. Christ is risen from the dead. That is a heralding of the gospel. Now we know where we stand. The son of God, Jesus of Nazareth, is no longer in the grave. He's risen. That's good news. And now for 2,000 years, you and I have benefited from that. So listen to what we are at Amos chapter 3, verse 6. Listen to what it says, verses 6 through 8, because the metaphor here is the metaphor that Paul is going to use in verse 8 of our text. A trumpet. Listen to what he says. Shall a trumpet be blown in the city and the people be not what? Afraid. Right. Why are they afraid? Because of a clarion sound of concern. Did the trumpet work? Of course it did. If there are enemies coming, don't you want to be alarmed? Don't you want someone to blow that trumpet? And you also want to make sure that when they blow that trumpet, they blow that trumpet appropriate to the situation and condition that the people are in. You can read it in your own times, Numbers chapter 10, the instructions on how to blow a trumpet and why to blow a trumpet. And if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, you are not bringing clarity. Did that make some sense? Go back with, uh, go back. Well, yeah, let me read verse seven and eight and we'll go back right quick. Notice what it says in verse seven. Surely the Lord will do nothing but that he reveals his secret unto his servants the prophet. Now we have our taxis here. The taxonomical structure. Remember God speaks, God speaks through his prophets. His prophets speak for God and we hear it. That's a taxonomical structure. Haven't I taught you guys that? You'll see it in our third category called order. How does God speak to us? He speaks to us through his prophets, right? And once he speaks to us, we have the privilege and responsibility of having heard him. This is what your outline is going to teach you as well. Verse eight. The lion hath what? Roared. Who will not what? For the Lord God hath spoken, who can but what? That's the metaphor of the prophetic word having a clarion sound. If you know anything about the forceful, influential roar of a lion. It will get your attention. It will get your attention. And when the gospel's spoken in clarity, it actually will get your attention. All right, so let's go on now, go back to our outline and work through this a bit more. So under my 1st subpoint, the gospel is a clear what? Intelligible what? Now, so y'all got that in your outline? All right, so I want to make sure that you don't miss intelligible. Because what Paul is doing is making a distinction between the gift that is intelligible and the gift that is not intelligible. And it's important to know. So listen to how he continues to work out his argument in verse eight of our text, uh, verse seven and eight of 1 Corinthians 14. And even things without life, giving sound, whether piped or harped, except they give a distinction in the sound. That clause is what I want you to lift up. A sound is a sound. But a distinct sound is a particular sound with a particular objective and a particular purpose for a particular ear, whether in the zoological dimension or in the anthropological dimension, whether in the animal world or in the human world. If you were to sit out in the woods and really pause and get quiet, you will hear the animals talking to each other. They're having phenomenal conversations at acute levels. And you're sitting there going, Whoa. I shouldn't go into this parenthetical, but I like I like my backyard, I really do. i got this crazy backyard that looked like the woods. A lot of redwood trees, a lot of oak trees, and it's, 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 it's unkept and wild. And so all kinds of animals are back there. And I love it because you can hear all of the different birds, the blue jays, the woodpeckers, the um, the uh, cardinals, all of them are back there. And when you hear them talking, you can just tell they know what they're talking about to each other. You can hear the squirrels, okay? You can hear them talking. You can hear all kinds of animals communicating at that level of distinct sound. And that's how we're supposed to be as well. We're supposed to be intelligible in the sound that we bring The distinction of sound is what what I build my argument around clarity for. What do we mean by distinction of sound? It is a Greek term that means to draw something to yourself in a way in which you make what you are saying to them distinguishable. It is an unambiguously clear Sound that has the ability to sever a person from all the other noises and be able to hear you yourself. I'm going to give you one more analogy and then I'm going on. This is what's supposed to be the case between a mother and her child. Even if you are in a room of a thousand people, they should be able to hear their mother's voice. Did you get that? Animals do. And this is why Jesus said in John's gospel, chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice. Right? That's a maternal mechanism. But the shepherd can speak in each one of his sheep, hear him particularly, because for the sheep-shepherd relationship, there is a continuum of clarity between them and their shepherd. And when the sheep is not able to hear their shepherd's voice, the sheep is disturbed. Did that make some sense? This is one of the ways you can discern a sheep from a goat. Because a goat can be very comfortable without a shepherd around, but not sheep. And it's so the truth when it comes to the word of God. When it comes to the word of God... You and I want to be able to affirm that we are God's sheep and therefore can hear his voice. And when the teaching is clear, the soul is edified, the soul is comforted. Literally in the Greek grammar, it means to draw near, to draw you near and to admonish you. That's a beautiful thing. Because again, it's a parental metaphor, isn't it? It's a parental metaphor. And what it's, if we infer from clarity, I'm just going to do it. I'll get to the next one and we'll deal with the third one Friday. If we infer from clarity, the idea that clarity's job is to make sure that we create distinction, that that we disavow and we cause to dissipate anything that would be foggy and obscure and chaotic. If the goal is to make sure that we are not trapped by the fog of propaganda wars, then the truth has to penetrate through the propaganda and, and actually land on our ear in a way in which it raises the volume, not of our hearing, but of our interest. All right. so I've talked about this before with many of you guys around the mechanisms and principles of cognitive science. The enemy knows it better than all of us. He knows that you can have an ear that's supposed to hear, but doesn't. He knows that you have an ear that's supposed to hear, but can't. So now the difference between doesn't and can't can be anything from a, a defective uh, personality trait that is the consequence of some kind of trauma that just makes it really difficult to be certain that they're hearing from God. That makes sense, doesn't it? I can go a long way with that. I can go a long way with that. And sometimes Christians have that because Christians come in with levels of brokenness that makes it hard for them to hear the distinction of the sound in a way in which they can go, aha, my God is talking to me. Does that make sense? Right, so you can have a hearing that is uh, dysfunctional, Uh, at the passive level, and then you can have a hearing that's dysfunctional at the active level. That means the only reason you're not hearing something clearly is because you are distracted. And you don't even know it. Your, Your mind and your thoughts at the deep interest level. I talked to you guys about the concept of entering in and resting, right? So the idea is that when God is calling you, he's calling you first to focus. We talked about discernment, didn't we? Discernment is about focus. Then it's about deconstruction, which is an, an analysis of the parts that are before you. That requires interest, doesn't it? If you and I don't have an interest, we will never penetrate into that thing as a consequence of focus with a purpose. Now, focus with a purpose is interest that drives you to a solution. You want a solution to this. That's called discernment. You actually want to know and you want to understand. Did that make some sense? All right, so again, when we're teaching our kids, this is really true. Don't we have to actually have mechanisms to get their attention? Because their attention will drift. And you have to have techniques to actually get their attention. This is called salient signaling. You got to be able to raise their focus, their level of focus on that thing. And once you raise the level of focus, you, got to, you have to be able to persuade them to stay focused and committed to the process of analysis, the process of, uh, of deconstructing, the process of breaking that thing down, organizing it, making sure you are understanding it. Because when they go away from that project, whatever it is, you want them to be able to say, I got it. Because if they didn't get it, that was a superfluous exercise and a waste of time, is it not? We never want our children to not get it out. And you know, I remember when I used to help my kids when they were really, really young, I was the one really helping them at four five, six years old. By the time they got to eight, nine years old, they were helping me. But the point is, is that I used to always want them to get it like really bad. So I would, st- I would be with them while they're focusing. And while, uh, while they're trying to work through if it's a math equation, or if it's a phonetical construct in, in, in their English class, or if it's some kind of social study or a science thing, I remember being compelled to almost want to give them the answer. How many of you parents are like that? How many were like that? I mean, I, I want to give them the answer. Now, I know I really want them to be able to figure it out, but I would say, now, look over there. Look over there. Go back, go, no, go back up. Go back up uh, up at the top of the paragraph. Go back to the top of the paragraph. Read it through again. Ah, stop right there. What did it say? Now, I'm just about giving them all the answers, right? At, at that point, I'm like the Holy Ghost, right? Um, but the goal is that we want them to be able to go away from that exercise edified because when we're not edified it is frustrating here you are trying to develop your uh, thinking your cognitive thinking skills and you have a an assignment in front of you and this assignment is challenging and it's rigorous and it's testing you at your character level at your emotional makeup level it's testing you in a lot of ways and then you go away from it and you feel like a failure that's horrible Is that true? Got enough kids in the house. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Kids, it's horrible when you go away like, what was that all about? I didn't get anything, right? Well, eventually you do because you have to go back and do it again. And so for us, every day we have to do this in our walk with Christ. Clarity must not be sacrificed for mere form of function. Like when we talk about, you know, they have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. I say function at the formality level. Like like our kids, they'll go to school, but they won't like it. And so if they don't like it, they won't learn. That was a form of function without it having any benefit. That makes some sense, right? So going back to First Corinthians chapter 14, verse 6, the early part. This is what Paul meant when he said, Now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues what shall i what profit you speaking with tongues does not profit unless there are other factors that go along with it to open it up so that the gift actually serves now as something other than just an exercise in glossolal that makes sense right so under point number one notice what it says um the gospel, uh, point number one, uh, subpoint A, the gospel is, is a clear, intelligible sound. That's Paul's argument by the metaphor of the trumpet. Subpoint B, cacophony is contrary to the what? It is contrary to <clears throat> the gospel. And look how Paul would build that argument out. I want you to see, see it in a couple ways. Look at verse uh, 9 in our text, verse 9 uh, and then verse 10 of our text so likewise you except you utter by the tongue words what easy to be understood how shall it be known what is spoken for you shall speak into the air you see the futility of speaking in complicated speech that's so complicated that it's unintelligible now, here's a really interesting uh, sort of extended play that Paul is using. In the earlier part of the chapter, you know what Paul said? Speaking in lands is between you and God. Isn't that what he said? And, and the rest of us are just left out of that dialogue. He says, so you, we still don't benefit. Then he goes further on down the line and said, but it's worse than that because if you're speaking in tongues without interpretation, you're speaking in the air. Did that get, did that make some sense? He's driving home a point. And the point, once again, is really the same point. If your aim is not clarity, you are actually not walking in love. Did that come home? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. Watch how Paul uses this and builds this argument. Remember, chapter 13 is before chapter what? 14. Okay, so look at verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of what? Now, if you stop right there, that classification sets us up for understanding what we've been dealing with with glossolal right? All of the languages, right? That's the tongues of men. You guys got that? That's what I had written in the other outline. I said tongues of men. That's what you saw in Acts chapter two, didn't you? 17 nations. You saw it in Acts chapter two in Jerusalem. Then you saw it in Acts chapter eight in Samaria. Then you saw it in Acts chapter 19 in Ephesus. And what you saw there was a progression of what Jesus said, preach this gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. You guys remember that? We just walked from uh, Acts 2 all the way to Acts 19 and realized now the gospel is going to these people in Asia Minor. It's headed over to Syria. It's headed over to Babylon. It's headed over to Turkey. It's headed up to France. It's headed up to the Brits. The gospel's going out. That's why God is using Paul. But, but the gospel is from God to men in men's languages. All right, so let me keep going because I got a few more minutes. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of what? This is specifically what I said last week that Paul is not talking about the language of angels anywhere in 1 Corinthians 14. Did you guys get that? All right, so look at this now. So I'm going to just touch on it just briefly here. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, what do we call that? This is what is called a hypothetical gesture. It is not an indicative of reality. What do you mean by that? The classification between men and angels is the difference between time and eternity. The classification is so critically different. So, But we can take a small moment, if you guys are ready to learn, Angels and human beings do have some things in common, do they not? What is that? First, they bear the imago Dei, right? They're image bearers of God. Therefore, they are moral agents. They have moral culpability, do they not? And therefore, they have to make ethical choices. That means there are consequences to their actions. This is not true for the animal world. Y'all keeping up with me? An animal can come eat you up, and God is not going to say that was a sin, okay? The lion will gobble you down and burp. And, and you may have raised that lion from, the, from a, a little cub, okay? He's going to look at you one right there and say, "On the food chain, here I come. And then after he eats you and burps, he's going to say, thank you, Jesus. That's because you fail to understand <laughs> that you and lions at the end of the day have a controversy with each other because of the fall. Okay, so stay with me. So we know that angels talk. We know they communicate with God. There's a dialogue between God and the angels. They have their own mode of communication. Human beings do not speak the language of angels. You have never seen that in the Bible anywhere. You guys keeping up with me? But we know that angels do. Secondly, though we agree that angels talk to God and God talks to angels... When angels come to talk to us, they never talk to us in angel talk. They always talk to us in our language. Do you know why? They're coming in love. Did he come home? They're coming in love. Now, we we can have a few cases and I won't go there. I'm just helping you understand that this hypothetical is predicated upon real classifications of species. Human beings are real species with with, with the gift of languages, a language that can communicate to God and God can communicate back to us in our language. Just say hallelujah. You should, because God loves us enough to talk to us in our language. And he allows us to talk back to him in his language. And he has never told us to talk in angels' language to him. God's not an angel. In his ontological nature, God's not an angel. He's much more comprehensive and expansive than that. So it's a beautiful thing that you and I are not trying to figure out what it means to talk like angels. It's a hypothetical. Now watch what Paul is saying, whether I have the tongues of men or the tongues of angels. Listen, if I don't have agape, I'm just a bunch of sounding noises, tinkling cymbals, sounding brass, just banging noise. Now, we've already been disciplined by Paul from chapter 14, verse 1 through chapter 10, that you and I are not aiming at just making a bunch of noise. Did that make some sense? We're not aiming at that because it would not edify. And a lack of edification is the evidence of a lack of love. So I'm not trying to talk angels' talk. I'm trying to talk men's talk. Does that make sense? Because men are the object of God's redemptive love. And God fulfilled that in the person of Jesus. I'll give you one more argument for that. I still got a little time to finish up clarity. You and I have never heard Jesus talking in angels' language. Did y'all keep up with me? Right, so see, this is where, you know, proper exegesis is so critically important. What do I mean by that? I mean that for us, the chief organizing principle of understanding everything in the Bible is the revelation of God in the person of Jesus. Jesus is our plumb line. Jesus is our axiom. If Jesus didn't do it, I don't get to do it. Now, there'll be some things that Jesus gets to do, but I don't get to do. But one of them certainly is he didn't speak in angels' languages, He took on a human nature and limited himself. This is why we're getting ready to get into Christology up to his birth, so we can enjoy what he did to make himself like us in order to make us like him. And one of the things he did not do was go around talking to his other classifications just to let us know he was God. Did that make some sense? He didn't go around talking in angels' languages or demons' languages or devils' languages even though he owned all of them and controlled all of them and they spoke to him. He didn't speak to us in their language. My argument is people don't have angelic languages. They don't have an angel. You'll hear people try to conflate the gift of tongues with uh, the angelic gift. I have, you know, the gift uh, of languages or the gift of angels. You don't. That's a hypothetical. That category that classification doesn't relate to us. That makes sense, right? This is important for you, to, for you to know. And even if you did, all Paul is doing is giving you a hypothetical. If you could talk in angels' language, where you get down, get down with them. And it sounds like just a bunch of babble, a bunch of crazy tinkling symbols to us. You don't edify us. Now I'm hoping you're, hoping you're persuaded by that. Point number one, sub-point so A, B, and C, the gospel is clear. It's a clear, intelligible sound. Cacophony is contrary to the gospel. Look at verse 21 and 22 in our text. This is the way Paul puts it in 21, 22, uh, 1 Corinthians 14. In the law, it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people. What is he talking about? We know contextually in the law, Deuteronomy, and then in the book of Isaiah, God had told Israel, if you disobey me, I'm gonna send a people into your nation who have another language that you don't understand. That people are going to come in and subjugate you and turn you into slaves and take you out of the land and drag you 800, 900 miles away. And all the way to Babylon, they're going to be speaking in a language you don't understand. Now watch this, saints. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm here. So verse 21 and 22 is the same kind of warning motif that Joshua is giving the children of Israel as we saw it on Sunday, right? right? So it's chastisement. It's not, it's not condemnation. It's a father saying to the children, hey, focus, focus, come here, focus. Don't turn an idol. Don't turn the gift of languages into an idol. It's not gonna work for you. Let me give you an example. There are people that came from the North and took Israel in the captivity. And all those people spoke was in the language of the Babylonian. It was Chaldean and in some cases, Farsi. You guys got that? These are Hebrews. They don't know this language. I want you to imagine with me now in a vivid physical sense as we prepare to close. You and I can talk to each other in a common intelligible speech that opens up the door for us to be comforted. It opens us for, opens up for us to be edified, right? And built up, right? Strengthened because we can talk to each other. Now, here comes a powerful nation. I don't understand at all what they're saying. And they beat me down and put me in chains and have me to walk from here to Babylon. All the way there, they're speaking in their own native language, and I don't understand what they're saying. This is a multiplied bondage, because it's not only bondage in the flesh, it's bondage in the mind. It's a psychological warfare of being hindered from understanding what they're saying, and all along the way, you're wondering whether or not they are conscribing uh, machinations of punishing you, or killing you, or raping you. You have no idea what they're saying. See what I'm getting at? And this is what God had warned Israel about over and over again. He warned them over and over again. Hey, if you disobey me, the Babylonians is going to take you. It's going to be, it's not going to be good at all. And I see what Paul is up to. Listen to what he says. Yet for all this, they would not what? Said the Lord. So the consequences of not listening to God when he was speaking to them with clarity and vividness was God speaking to them in Babel and in chaos. And he spoke to them in Babel and chaos by foreigners, and it wasn't for blessing, it was for discipline and correction, and in some cases, judgment. Did that make some sense? And it was all because they did not prefer to hear God in very clear and simplistic language so that God could be their shepherd and lead them into rest. That's making sense, right? Look at verse 22. Verse 22, wherefore tongues are for a what? Now, now, now we already talked about that. Signs don't ever save. Didn't we learn that? Signs don't ever, ever save. Signs have a purpose. What they don't do is save. They can point, to, point you to salvation, but all they are is a sign. Wherefore tongues are for a sign. Sometimes it's a good sign, sometimes it's a bad sign. Not to them that what? But to them that what? But prophesying serves not for them that believe not, but for them which what? Now watch this. When the Babylonians came down in 587 BC and took the two Southern tribes, Benjamin and Judah, and drove them all the way up to Babylon, that was a sign. It was a sign to everybody that was watching that Israel was disobedient to God and wouldn't listen to him. Did you guys get that? everybody's watching going, what's going on? And God said that literally God said that because they did not obey the covenant of their God, God is removing them from this land far, far away. It became a sign to everybody that God's people weren't listening to God and would not accept God speaking in clarity with particularity and distinction. Now he's coming with the complexity of a chaotic tongue and is going to bring them into judgment and take them away. right. So now a good gift being used for idolatry ends up being a bad gift that brings people into bondage. Does that make some sense? Right. We could definitely make an application if we wanted to in terms of the 21st century church. Let me make one last statement, and that is clarity leads to what? Unity. Clarity always leads to unity. This is exactly what you saw in Acts chapter two. And I'm not gonna go there again. When God had told, when Christ had told the 120 in the upper room to hang out, you guys remember that? Terry here until you be endued with power from on high. And once they were in power from on high, they became the vehicle by which those 17 nations could hear the gospel. Now, were they in unity? Of course they were. They were walking obediently to Jesus. Jesus told them to go there and wait. They did. The voice was specific, wasn't it? And they hung out and they prayed and studied and ate. And then the Holy Ghost came upon them, didn't it? And once the Holy Ghost came upon them, they were all qualified to speak in the languages of those 17 nations and then Peter rose up among them as the interpreter. Remember, if you speak with a tongue, you must now interpret that tongue. Isn't that what we're, our Bible say? That's where we get into the edification and order. I'll give you just one order verse. Look at it over in verse, uh, verse 18 through verse 21. We'll stop here. Verse 22. Um, no, verse 22 through verse 23. Wherefore, tongues are assigned not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serves not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. If therefore the whole church come together into one place and all speak with tongues and there comes in one that is unlearned or is an unbeliever, will they not say that you are mad? But if all prophesy and there come one in not learned, uh, uh, come one in that does not believe and is not learned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all, and thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest in falling down before God. He would admit that God is in them of a truth. And so Paul lays out before them how they should do this. Look over at verse 27. If any man speak in a tongue, let it be by two or at the most by three and that by what? By course, this is in order and then let one do what? Okay. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself, to God alone. Verse 29, let the prophet speak two or three and let the others do what? So he's nailing down the idea of edification always comes as a consequence of order. So we'll pick that up on Friday and just kind of wrap uh, our heads around that final gift before we go into a series series of Christology. There could be more said, but we're going to stop right now. We'll pick back up in a few minutes.